Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. in your Bible to the book of Romans, and we'll be in chapter 8 looking at verses 26 and 27 a little bit later on. I want to read through verse 30 in just a moment. Let me remind you that tonight we continue our networking. Uh, Jesus said he would make us fishers of men, and so we need to make sure that our nets work. So we'll be working on our nets tonight. We're looking at the, um, uh, the ministry of greeting Uh, particularly those whom God sends to us as our guests. Uh, If you're involved with the ushers, involved with the new greeter ministry, there's something particular for you, uh, and the rest of you are going to be with me. Um, And so if you're a grumpy person and you don't like people and you just want to sulk in the corner, you don't need to be here tonight. (laughs) But if you want to be a real human being, come be in my class. (laughs) I will be taking names. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, We look at Romans chapter 8, start reading in verse 26. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I don't know if you're like me, but lately I've got sort of disaster overload, uh, maybe even disaster fatigue. Spent so much time focusing on the uh, hurricane in Houston, and now with the hurricane moving up uh, the, um, uh, the state of Florida, I'm focused on that, and, and uh, of course very concerned about that. And I'm just going to admit to you, to my shame, I really haven't thought about the folks in Mexico. It had a tremendous earthquake and uh, dozens of people killed. And I was, I was more concerned about my folks in Florida. And that's the way I am. Haven't even mentioned the wildfires in Los Angeles and other tragedies and disasters all over the world. And I'm quickly worn out by it. Our Father in heaven is never worn out by it. He's never distracted, he's never overloaded, and each and every individual who's suffering today has the undivided attention of our Father in heaven. You know, there are many people who will offer to volunteer, they'll bring in food and water, they'll, they'll help rebuild and clean out. Um, our government will supply resources, it's one of the things government ought to do, and so uh, there's a lot of things that will happen, but What we know is that the people who are going through these disasters, what they need more than anything else is prayer. They need prayer because 
even they don't realize the extent to which the heart and the soul is assaulted in these kinds of situations. And so we need to be diligent to pray for those in need. Not just the ones we're paying attention to, but all those who are suffering today. All right? Well, let's bow together in prayer. And Father, I'm going to start out by thanking you for those who prayed for me. Father, in times when I was aware of it and many times when I wasn't, looking back, I can see many ways in which those prayers have been answered, and I just praise and thank you for those who offered them up on my behalf. And I ask that you would make me diligent and faithful, Father, that I would lift up those around me. Somewhere not too far from here, there's a person in desperate need. And while we don't know the name or the place or the circumstance, you do. And we pray that you would make us the answer to the prayer going up on behalf of that person, that we would be open, receptive, aware, eager, Father, to be useful in your hands in ministering, that prayers offered up would be answered. We do lift up people around the world who are suffering, people in our own nation, Father, that you would give safety, watch care, sustenance, but especially, Father, that you would use even the time of the storm to draw people closer to you, to rely upon you, and to trust you even more. Father, I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll have your text in front of you, open to Romans 8, starting at verse 26. Jesus told the story about two men who went up to the temple and they went there in order to pray. The first man was a Pharisee. Now, in our parlance, the word Pharisee is a bad word. If you, if you call somebody a Pharisee, you mean they're a hypocrite. They're, they're holier than thou. They're, they're just nuts in their religion. But in the days of Jesus, the Pharisees really were the good guys. See, a Pharisee was somebody who thought that God's holiness applied to everything. A Pharisee thought that the holiness code, the things that were required of a priest to be holy enough to serve in the temple, that that same level of holiness was required of everyone, even if they were in the marketplace or at home or they were in their place of business. And so if you were talking to a Pharisee, you were talking to somebody who really believed in the holiness of God and believed that that holiness should be translated into our daily lives. The Pharisees were the ones who thought that the scriptures were the word of God. The Sadducees thought that, well, the first five books of Moses are the suggestions of people who knew God. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed in the providence of God. They believed in the reality of the ministry of angels. And so it's no wonder that wherever Jesus went, you always found Pharisees sort of hovering around the edges and then challenging him because when a Pharisee heard Jesus, they said, he just might be one of us. We need to challenge him and make sure he's on target. But he's saying a lot of things we agree with. And so the Pharisees really were the good guys. And when Jesus said a Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, the first reaction was, well, of course a Pharisee goes up to the temple to pray. Pharisees are praying all the time. Never seen anybody pray like a Pharisee prays. So Jesus said the Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, and when he got there, 
he walked in and he stood by himself and this this was uh, sort of like self-defense uh, he stood by himself so that he wouldn't be accidentally contaminated with other people there who weren't exactly in his league of holiness and righteousness. He wouldn't accidentally rub shoulders with that sinner guy who came in with him. Uh, so he sort of stood off by himself and he began to pray. And his prayer went something like this. Oh, Father God, maker of all that exists, ruler of all that is, look down, I thank thee. You have to read it in the Greek. You'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll never get that out of the English. He said, I thank thee that I am not like other men. Other men, they're materialistic. I tithe. Other men, they just follow their whims and their instant gratification. I adhere to the law. Other men, they go about their daily lives and they never think of you. I fast all the time so I can devote more time to you. Oh, God, I thank you I'm not like other men. But I have come to a personal relationship with God, and you can tell I do because I tithe and I fast and I don't break the law, and I'm certainly not like that publican, that tax collector over there. I'm certainly in concert with who you are. And he was just rolling in his prayer. And it's not a bad prayer. I don't want to be like other men. I don't want to be a sinner. I don't want to leave God out of my life. When I hear this guy pray, I mean, if I'm honest, I'm listening to it and saying, I wish I could pray that prayer. See, we know the end of the story. That's why you don't. But, you know, really, when you think about it, that's a pretty good prayer if you can pray it. But off to the other side is the tax collector, the Republican. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's the publican. Uh, well, there's the tax. Well, you know what a tax collector was. He was, he, was, uh, uh, he was a government official. He was a government employee, federal worker. And uh, uh, it was his job to collect the taxes. Now, uh, back then, people didn't like folks who collected taxes. Uh, not like today, but back then they didn't like that. And, and one of the things, the, the reasons for that was that the tax collector was collecting Roman taxes in the Jewish uh, community. In other words, he had sold out. He had said, well, these Romans have come in and they're a nuisance and they're taking away our liberty, but you know, I think I can make a de decent living off of this, so I'll collect the taxes for them. And so he would uh, go to his neighbors and he would, I was going to say friends, but probably didn't have any, but you know, he, he would just go to everybody in the community and he would take these taxes and take their money, give it to the Romans, pocket a little bit uh, for himself. And this was his job. And so he walks into the temple, and anybody in the right mind who's there says, whoa, and wait a minute. This guy doesn't belong here. He's already rejected us. He's already sold us out. He's already a traitor. So the tax collector walks into the temple, 
It says that he stood off in a corner by himself. And he couldn't even look up. See, today when we pray, we look down, bow our heads, close our eyes, clasp our hands. In the days of Jesus, they stood up, they opened their eyes, they looked to heaven, and they opened their hands and prayed. This poor tax collector, he stands in a corner by himself and he can't even lift up his eyes. And I don't know what prayer he had rehearsed. If I'm, if I'm in his shoes, the, the prayer I have going on in my mind is, I'm, I'm going to go pray and I'm going to tell God that I'm, I'm sorry for, for what I've done. I'm, I'm sorry for turning my back on his people. I'm, I'm sorry for abusing others and taking advantage of my position of authority. I, I just want him to know I'm sorry that I realize everything's out of, out of kilter and I, I just want to put it back again. How, how can I do that? Uh, this Pharisee, he knows how to pray. Oh, I wish I could pray the way he prays, but, but I, I, I'll try. And, and so he goes into the temple and he's by himself, but when he gets there, he can't even look up. And he just starts to think about all the things that are realities in his life. And the prepared speech goes out the window. And all he can say is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the prayer you pray when you don't know what to pray. That's the prayer you offer to God when you know you have nothing to offer to God. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it rises out of the desperation of his life, rises out of the total brokenness and the shattering of his life. We don't know what brought him there. We don't know what the circumstances were. We don't know how the Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart and convicted him that his life was not where God wanted it to be. All we know is that the Holy Spirit led him to that moment in that place to pray that prayer. And out of the anguish and the desperation of his life, he prayed, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Now we step back and we analyze the two prayers. Pharisee has a good prayer. Covered all the bases. Said all the right things is right in tune with the will of God. If you're walking into the temple that day and you want somebody to pray for you, you go over to the Pharisee and say, well, I've got a little problem in my life. Would you pray for me? Yes, my son, I will pray for you. You don't go up to the tax collector and say, would you pray for me? I don't know what to pray. We know who's the better prayer. (laughs) But Jesus said, But here's the better prayer over here. Jesus said, I tell you that the tax collector is the one who went down out of the temple and he was justified. That means he had his relationship with the Father restored. He was was back in, in sync with who God is. It was the tax collector who accomplished the real purpose of prayer, which was to bring his life and offer it to God in heaven. You see, he prayed a desperate prayer when he didn't know what to say, and that's the prayer God hears. You know, there's another prayer in the New Testament. We don't think of it as a prayer that often, but I I do. I think it's one of the more profound prayers. It, uh, it, It 
takes us to the time when Jesus was coming down out of the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd gone up into the mountain with uh, uh, Peter and, and, uh, and John, and, and they were there, and they were uh, uh, just seeing the glory of God in Christ and just amazed by that. And they're coming down off this mountaintop experience. I mean, they're just sky high spiritually. And when they come down, the Scripture says, Jesus saw his disciples arguing. They're arguing with each other. And so Jesus goes up to him and says, now, what exactly are you arguing about? And on the edge of the crowd, a man breaks in. He says, wait a minute, my son, I brought my son. Now, understand what it takes. This guy's interrupting Jesus. Not only that, he's ignoring the disciples. No, he's over-talking them. He's, he's, He's intruding into this private conversation. What nerve! But when you read the story on, you find out what desperation. Because it says, Jesus, I have a son, and this, there's a spirit that comes and he attacks my son. And whenever the spirit gets a hold of him, this, this, this evil spirit, he causes my son to go rigid and he foams at the mouth. And sometimes the spirit throws him into the ocean and sometimes he throws him into the fire. And this has been going on in my son. I brought him to your disciples. I said, could you heal him? And they tried and they can't. Jesus, I'm at my wit's end. I did everything I knew to do. I brought my son to your disciples. I asked for healing. They tried. They can't. It's hopeless. Some of you have had children who've suffered from birth, and you know the desperation of this man. Jesus said, you do understand. Or he says, look, what is it you want me to do then? Because I want you to heal my son. If you can, heal my son. And Jesus said, if I can, you do understand that I kind of like have that power. The question here is not, can I heal your son? The question here is what kind of faith you have because all things are possible to the one who believes just like that looks a man in the face this is possible if you believe and immediately the man says i believe and then he he realizes something he realizes i'm talking to jesus jesus knows what i'm thinking And he knows that I don't believe. Jesus knows that when I say I don't believe, I'm just trying to work the system here. He said I should say I believe. I'm going to say I believe. But deep down, I don't really think it's going to happen. Jesus, yes, I I believe. You said I should say it. I've said it. I believe. But for the sake of my son, help my unbelief. Jesus, there's things I can't believe, and you're going to have to take over right then and there. Jesus, the kind of faith you're talking about, I've never had in my life. I don't think I ever will. Help thou mine unbelief. It's one of the most profound prayers ever uttered. And that was the prayer Jesus heard. Because he brought the boy to him, and 
kid gets attacked by the spirit. He says, come out of, this, out of him. He tells the spirit, you come out and don't you ever come back. I'm not healing this boy just for today. I'm healing him for the rest of his life. And then he reached down and picked him up. Everybody thought the kid was dead, but he picked him up and everything was fine. And later on, the disciples came up and said, why couldn't we do that? You remember what Jesus said? He said, this kind comes out only by prayer. Now, I've always read that, and I think it's probably true. This kind only comes out because Jesus prayed. He didn't pray then, but he prayed all the time. And so he was prayed up, and he was ready to go, and that's, that, that's a very good point to make. But as I was reading that this week, I looked at that. What if Jesus meant this kind comes by, out only by the kind of prayer that the Father uttered? When you come before God and admit you've got nothing, and just say, I believe but you're going to have to help my unbelief. You're going to have to help me. So it doesn't surprise us when Paul, in the book of Romans, he says, look, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses and our infirmities. Why? Because we don't know what to pray for. We do not know how to pray as we ought. We don't know what to pray for. You ever experienced that? I have. I did just this past week. I have, have friends and family in central Florida. During the week, the path of the hurricane was going right over their houses. I mean, literally right over their houses. And I said, Lord, I, 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 I'm praying that the hurricane won't go there. And then I realized, but how does that work? And I tried to help God out here, so I tried to think this through. But you know, if God causes the hurricane to go further to the east, then it goes up the east coast, gets all this energy from the Atlantic and slams into North Carolina and South Carolina, and it, and it messes up all the people there. And if it goes further to the west, then it picks up energy from the Gulf and it slams into the panhandle in Georgia and does more damage there. I didn't know what to pray for. So I just prayed God... Can you handle this? If you can, just you take it. I'll, I'll let you do this one. I'll, I got the next one. We don't know what to pray for as we are. We don't know. Sometimes we think in order to have a decent prayer, we've got to give God the answer. We've got to tell him what he needs to do. And we have no idea where our prayer and our need and our lives fit into the universe. Where what's happening to us today will be used by God in some way a hundred years from now if Jesus tarries, how it fits into other corners of the world, how it fits into what God is doing for his glory in the universe. We don't know. We just don't know how to pray as we ought. We have no idea. Now, the disciples came to Jesus once and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. You remember this? This is Luke chapter 11. So, Lord, teach us to pray the way John the Baptist did. See, what, what happened was a, a rabbi back then would have his disciples and, and he would teach them and he would give them a special prayer, sort of like an ID card. Um, if you had this prayer and you, and you prayed this thing, then uh, that sort of identified you as being a follower of that rabbi. And so they were saying, Jesus, give us, give us a prayer uh, that will identify us with you. Well, the, the thing is, Jesus didn't do that. What he said was, look, when you pray, here's what you do need to understand. When you pray, here's how it goes. Father. Abba. We talked about that, didn't we? Yeah. 
That's, that's, that's where you start. You start with the trust and the intimate relationship and the reliance. You, you start with that turning to God as your Father, as your Abba in heaven with a complete surrender to who he is and your relationship to him. So you begin there, Father, Abba. But then the next thing is this, let your name be holy. Father, hallowed be thy name. Let your name be holy. And some of you remember a few years ago we preached a series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer. I'm not saying any, right? Okay. But what we learned at that point was that the entirety of the Lord's Prayer is all about the holiness of God's name. Everything about prayer is to, is to highlight and exalt the holiness of God's name. That the name of God would be exalted and lifted up as worthy of worship and adoration and praise. That his name would be lifted up as beautiful and magnificent and majestic. That his name would be at the forefront of all things. When we pray, we pray so that God's name might be known as holy in all the earth. Whatever goes on after that is so that God's name would be holy. Thy will be done so that people will know the holiness of your name. Give me daily bread so that I can rely on the holiness of your name. Forgive me my sins as I forgive others so that people can see the holiness of your name just circulating in my life. Lead us not in temptation so that the power of your holy name would be made manifest. When you pray, pray to your Father, your Abba in heaven, that his name would be acknowledged as holy in all these things. See, it sort of, sort of puts the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane into perspective, doesn't it? You remember he, just before he was arrested in the trial and he was crucified, a lot going on, but um, you know, it, it wasn't the fact that he was going to be arrested and beaten. Um, I, I don't think that particularly caused any consternation. Uh, death, I don't even think, uh, meant, uh, uh, you know, was, was any sort of detriment to Jesus. But what faced him was the loathsomeness of our sin. And our sin would be put upon him. And he who knew no sin would be made sin in, uh, on our behalf. And that sin to be put upon the perfection of the Son of God. No wonder he prayed and prayed so earnestly that the sweat came off his brow like great drops of blood. And he said, Father, if at all possible, remove this cup from me. He said, Father, this isn't what I'm geared for. This, this, this isn't, it's just so horrendous. Father, I, can, you, can we do it some other way? And then Jesus said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So your will be done. Now, most of us take that, and here's what we do with it. Not my will, but thine be done. Uh, dear God, here's what I want. I want X, I want Y, and I want Z. But I don't really think you're going to do it, so nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We're just hedging our bets. When Jesus prayed that, it was... Here's the honesty of my heart. Here's the honesty of my soul. Here's what's burdening me. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, more important than where I am, Father, is where you are. Your will, not mine, be done. 
And that transformed the prayer. That's why we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know that. We don't know that. So Paul says, likewise, okay, likewise, like what? <laughs> like what? He has just finished talking about the groaning of creation. You remember that from last week? He said, all of creation is groaning. It's out of sync. It's out of kilter. This, this, these, these hurricanes and earthquakes and wildfires and the destruction of life. He says, all that, that's not God's design. That's not, that's, that's not how he wanted the world put together. And so creation itself is groaning, waiting for the revelation of the glory of the sons of God, waiting for that moment when Jesus comes and all those who put faith in him will be caught up with him. And creation is just waiting for that moment and groaning for that moment when all is restored. And then you remember last week, and we're groaning too. We're groaning too because we long for the glory of God. We long for the manifestation of God's holiness and righteousness that all the world would see. We're longing for the revelation of the glory of God in his children. We're longing for the glory, and we don't see it yet. We don't see it yet. But we have this hope, and we're saved by this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. Why do you hope for something you see? But if we don't see it, we wait for it with patience. But you know, sometimes the patience runs out, and sometimes the hope is hard to grasp, and sometimes it's hard to hang on to the promises of God, and sometimes the energy deserts us, and we just don't know if we can keep going any longer. And in those moments, Paul says, right when the hope seems to be most distant, in that moment, likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us. I've got about three sermons rolling in my head right now. The Holy Spirit helps us. And helps us in our weakness. Now, we, we don't really apply that. Right? We, we have this idea... God really helps me when I'm hitting on all cylinders for God. You know, when I'm feeling really spiritual, when I'm really praying all the time and reading the Bible all the time and going to church all the time and tithing a lot. And Folks, please do all those things. But we get the idea that then God will hear my prayers. And this scripture says, in our weakness, the Holy Spirit helps us. And it's not as if, oh, sometimes we don't need the Holy Spirit, but if we need the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will help us in our prayer. No, we always need the Holy Spirit in our prayer. Constantly. Because we are weak. And in this condition of weakness, some of it caused by just the human condition. We get tired, we get exhausted, we get frazzled. Some of it's just the, the course of life weakness, but some of it's the peculiar weakness of the Christian believer when we've look to the promises of God and we put our hope in him and sometimes we just don't see it and we'll go through a season when it just doesn't seem to be happening and it's at that moment especially that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness so the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness we don't know what to pray for we don't know how to pray as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us the Holy Spirit if you will prays for us 
Let me use my imagination for a moment. I, I, I take it this way, that when I pray, I come up with a prayer. It's the best I can do, but it's all I got. I come up with a prayer, and it's got all this jumbled stuff in it. Even on a good day, it's kind of confused. And I offer it up to God, and the Holy Spirit says, wait, let, let me take that for you. Holy Spirit takes it to, his, to, the, to the Holy Spirit desk. And he starts, well, cross out the line, change that, margins, and, you know, and he, he marks it up. But then he takes our prayer, and he puts it in the word processor, and it comes out perfect. And he goes into the Father, and the Spirit says, Father, I've got a prayer from Wayne. You do? Yes, you're going to love it. And the Holy Spirit prays my prayer the way it should have been before I ever got to it. Folks, if I didn't believe that, I'd quit praying. My prayers aren't enough. They're not good enough. Have I asked you yet? You, you, you know some people who really pray well, right? I mean, they, when they pray, you feel like you go to heaven and back with them. I've known people like that. Well, I love to hear them pray because when they pray, they, they just sort of put, put words to your feelings and your thoughts, and, and you can just, in your mind's eye, you're just traveling with them, and you see what they're seeing, and you, you go where they're going, and you wind up before the Father, and you just sit there, and you just praise God for a moment, and, that, and you leave the prayer, and you come back down. There are some people who can pray so beautifully, but let me tell you this, that prayer, as beautiful as it is, is not good enough. A prayer like, I believe, help mine unbelief. A prayer like, God, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Holy Spirit takes that prayer, wraps it in the will of the Father, takes it to the throne of grace, and that prayer is offered to God. Let me, let me point out something to you just, just real quick. In verse 34, Romans 8, 34, says, who is to condemn us? And we'll look at that later on. But Christ Jesus is the one who died, Christ Jesus is the one who was raised. He is the one who is at the right hand of God. And Christ Jesus indeed is interceding for us. Romans 8, 34. Jesus is interceding for us. Do you understand what's happening here? You're the Father on his throne, Jesus on the throne with him, the Holy Spirit on the throne with him, and the Father there, and the Son is interceding for us, and the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And it's the will of the Father that our prayers be brought to him through the Son and through the Holy Spirit. What a gracious God we have. Amazingly gracious God we have. I don't understand why you would pray to anyone else. I won't get off on that. But there we are. But he, he makes intercession for us. But he says, with groanings, what does this translation say? Too deep for words. You know, I've, I've, heard, I've, I've read some people and they said, oh, what he's talking about there is speaking in tongues. You should pray in tongues. Because if you pray in tongues, you're not using real words and that's the Holy Spirit praying and that's what's going on. I'm not going to judge anybody's religion. I'm not going to judge their faith. I'm not going to judge their theology. I'm just going to tell you they're wrong. This... <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the thing is, this is talking about the Holy Spirit praying and there are things that words cannot describe. There are feelings and experiences and realities and truths. And it's not just that you and I don't have the words to describe it. 
It is the case there are no words to describe it. It's not the case that the English language is deficient and cannot describe it. It is the case that no language could ever describe the deep, deep things of the Spirit. But out of that depth, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in a wordless, ineffable, too deep for words, groaning that the Father hears. That the Father hears. He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I try to pray according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit does pray according to the will of God. I try to offer up a prayer that's in concert with the will of God. The Holy Spirit does offer up my prayer in concert with the will of God. And so at those moments when you don't know what to pray, at those moments when you're so desperate you can't even find words, in those moments when you're so exhausted and depleted that it seems as though if I pray, I don't have the energy to think up what God should do here. I don't know what to pray for. Understand at that moment you have just collided with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in faith that turns to God and asks for faith, we surrender our lives in prayer. And the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. So my challenge for you this week is to pray and to pray often and to pray boldly and to pray with confidence and to pray with assurance. Not because you've discovered the trick, not because you are doing better in life than you used to be doing, but pray with confidence and boldness and assurance because it is the Holy Spirit who will take your prayer, translate it into the will of God, and bring it to the Father's throne of grace. That his will would be done and his name would be magnified and known as gloriously holy in all the earth. So pray this week, okay? Do what? Let's bow. Let's pray. Gracious Father, words do fail us, but we luxuriate in the reality that your grace is always real, always reliable, always powerful, always able. And so, Father, I ask that you would remind us of these things, send your Holy Spirit upon us, that in those moments of discouragement, those moments of weakness, we would just turn to you all the more, pray all the more, trust you all the more, give you the glory all the more. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.